Thanksgiving to everybody early. Tis that season. Christmas stuff's already out in every store already. I'm sure you're thinking about Christmas already. Um, but I know the month of November is about Thanksgiving, and you will think about what you're thankful for, maybe around your dinner table. You'll go around and say what you're thankful for uh, before you eat Thanksgiving dinner. And just wanted to remind you that being thankful is actually something from God. <laughs> it's not just a self-help thing or a cultural thing. Um, peace comes from God, and God provides all things that we need. Colossians 3.15 says, this is Paul writing, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. The power of thankfulness is um, experiencing peace when we recognize that all that God has already given us. When we are not thankful, uh, we typically are focused on things we don't have, which leads to striving. It leads to all kinds of things that we feel like we think we need that we don't have and oftentimes will end in bitterness or end in frustration. And I highly recommend, not just in November, but uh, as a rhythm, a healthy rhythm, that you would consider um, the who's in your life, the what's in your life, uh, the gospel in your life, church life in your life, and how good that is. Um, I heard a sermon one time from a Christian counselor. It's kind of popular, but he said, you know, what he would do is throughout his marriage, he kept a list of all the qualities or traits or things his wife did that he just absolutely loved. And he would only bring out that list when she did something he absolutely didn't love. <laughs> and so in that moment of wishing she was something else or did something else or was someone else, he would begin to read that long list he kept. And by the end of it, he was in tears. That's the power of gratitude and thankfulness. That's the power of it. Uh, we are able to actually experience and be thankful for what we already have. Instead of always being focused on what we don't have, and that includes the way people aren't and that we wish they were. All right, so that's a good, healthy rhythm to have for us in our prayer time with our kids. We ask our kids uh, to, you know, ask God for help in one area, and also thank God for at least one thing from today or recently. It could be candy, right? It could be we got to have fun, but just this idea of getting them to think, God gave us something today. Let's be thankful for something. All right? Well, I've been talking about being a disciple. I'm following Jesus for a lifetime. Uh, this has been a real passion of mine, and I, I believe this is a part of kind of all the ministry I've done in my life is trying to uh, share this with people. Um, I really believe that Jesus' mission uh, in coming to earth just for a few years in ministry with these disciples is trying to convince them of a few things. Uh, they expect them to do maybe a lot more, but uh, they expect, they or Jesus did things. What he did was first and foremost was that he invited them to believe. Belief was so powerful. We talked about this last week. Um, and how he call, asked them to believe these three things. First, that believe that the Father, believe that God had sent had sent Jesus. And if God sent Jesus, then what he said matters. And then if you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus talks about being God and that, that you should believe that he is God so that what he did matters. So when it was Jesus sitting with sinners, then God was doing it. When Jesus did miracles and healings and freeing people and casting out demons, all this awesome stuff, it was God doing it. So God had come and is doing some incredible things right now, right? And then asking them to believe that salvation is through him, that he is the bread of life, right? He's the way and the truth, right, and the life. So it's like these things, Jesus 
caused them to believe. He left with them and then he left, right? And after the resurrection, we see these guys come together, right? And then we see in the book of Acts, we read about these guys were committed. I mean, they were committed. They were convinced, right? And I think it's pretty powerful that the root of that is their belief in what Jesus asked them to believe in. Okay? His work was all about proclaiming something and that they would believe it after he left. He, you've heard this phrase often in the scripture, Matthew 4, 17. It says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus says that. And they have to believe it. Right? Just repent. Turn for something's going on right now. Your belief should go way up here into this. And because they believe that, then they, their behavior changed, their outlook changed, what they did changed, everything changed because of their belief. That's the first area. I'm going to talk today about how to believe. It's a little bit harder, I think. I can tell you what to believe, but how to believe it. We're going to talk about how to foster that tonight. And then uh, later we'll talk about uh, being like Jesus and becoming like Jesus, and then the third area is just being near Jesus. If you look at the Gospels, those are the three things that are going on. Believe what I'm talking about, right, belief. Live and become like I am, right, and then just to be near Jesus. You think about these disciples, the access they got, how they got to be near him, that's for you as well, okay. All right, so... How does this happen? How do these disciples go from hearing Jesus talk about this stuff to like actually believing it and many of them will give their life for it, right? How does this happen? And I wonder if we can think about how this can happen for you, maybe how it's, it has happened. But I believe that being a disciple is actually for a lifetime. And so following Jesus for a lifetime, then those three areas are constantly at work. I believe that God's at work in your life for those three areas. What do you believe in, right? Who are you becoming like and the influences around you, right? Uh, according to the world system or his system, his way. And then being near him. Like that's a lifetime mission. Okay, how did it happen for the disciples? I'm going to read this passage. It's a common passage that I'm sure you've heard about. And I think um, there's some truth to this. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, where Jesus calms the storm. And I think there's a little insight here on why they believe what they believe. Okay. And I think it could translate for you too. Okay, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, when Jesus calms a storm. Verse 23, and Jesus gets into the boat and his disciples follow him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him and said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. That sounds like fear to me. Verse 26, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So why do they believe? I don't think Jesus gave this really great defense of the Old Testament scriptures. I don't think he gives this, these arguments over and over and over again and convinces them. I believe there's a place for that. That's not my passion. I don't, I don't really take that angle, but I know there's a lot of people that that's their passion, and I think it's great. There's a place for it. But Jesus actually never did that to get them to believe. Okay. What probably happened that I would say as I read the Gospels, the miracles had a big part of it. 
um, it was a storm and raining and wind, and then Jesus said something, and it all stopped. That would cause me to pause. But it's interesting because in the Old Testament, wasn't there the supernatural miracles? They didn't believe for long. Isn't that interesting? Like, leaving uh, uh, Egypt was pretty powerful. With the plagues, and parting the Red Sea. Okay, so we got that going on. Uh, I think in this passage also, his words, right? His words had power. I think of Moses' words, right, and the, the Red Sea being parted. His words had power and his word had truth to them. I wish I could preach this way. It's not an argument here. It's not a great defense or a great argument. But they are hearing his words and see what happens, the miracle. And the, his words are powerful to these guys. Okay. I would think that um, when they, in verse 27, ask, what kind of man is this? This got their attention. It at least caused them to question and wonder about Jesus. I think also how he lived. No one ever lived like Jesus lived. Moses didn't live this way. Elijah didn't live this way. None of the prophets lived this way. The way Jesus lived was incredibly revolutionary and powerful to them. Who he sat with, how he paid attention to people, his pace in life, the way people felt around him, the way they felt around him, the way he lived. I think I would also add on there is the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead in this incredible miracle, these guys were the historians that wrote about it. These guys were the ones who had a witness about it. And historians argue that the resurrection is it's something that we believe in, but there's so much to it that you can argue from a rational perspective that it happened. Like how could they keep the lie going that it didn't happen? How could they? Right, you just go down the line. Like this event of the resurrection, if you don't, if people don't believe about scripture that's inspired and all those things, but listen, if you look at the idea of, okay, did the resurrection happen? There's some convincing arguments there. I think them experiencing the resurrection, seeing that happen, seeing the risen Jesus, it blew their minds. And it pushed the faith needle from like, the belief needle from like, oh, we're just kind of in this to where I can give my life to this. I believe it, okay. Now, I know that Jesus isn't here doing miracles in front of your face like the disciples had. You could argue they had it easier than you. Maybe. <laughs> you didn't get to be there to see the resurrection and the stone rolled away and Jesus uh, risen, right, in his glorified body, right? You didn't get to see how Jesus lived and how he touched people that were sinners or dirty or sinner or, or sick, right? The power of that. You do not have the same experience the disciples had. But since then, billions of people believe this stuff. For those of you that have the wonderful privilege of coming from a Christian family and having it in your family for generations, I didn't. But for those of you that have that, think about that for a second. Uh, you can trace the apostles' work uh, through history to back to this time. Like it's amazing, billions of people have believed this stuff, but they didn't get to be with Jesus like these disciples did, okay? 
So where we're at today to consider, well, how does this happen? And here's what I've learned. Here's what I've seen in Scripture. Here's what I've seen what's different in the, uh, the life of Jesus and the early church even versus the Old Testament and how much they quit on God and rebelled and sinned against God and forgot all they did and forgot the miracles uh, and wanted different things than what God was giving them. I think it's two dynamics that come together. It's paying attention to yourself and paying attention to what God's doing right now in front of your face. It is the intersection of clarity and consciousness. It sounds a little weird, but let me explain what I mean. I think that when in the Old Testament, especially in the incredible plagues of the Exodus and all these miracles that happen, they see what God does and the manna that comes on the ground and all these incredible things, I think they may have seen and the miracles of God, but I don't think they're totally aware of what they truly needed and really aware of themselves. I think also that they may have seen his work, but they never really knew him. They knew his gifts and his miracles, but never knew him. I think for you today, that's it right there. The intersection of clarity, oh, I had the aha moment, right? And the consciousness of what, of being aware of what God is doing. Okay, I want you to think through this a little bit. You know the scripture and the, reading the gospels. Think about this. They're in this seeing the wind. Do you know what happens when you're in a wind storm and a hurricane and things get crazy? You get scared. In that moment, you have some clarity real fast. Oh my goodness, I could die. I can't stop this. Uh, the boat is going left to right, up and down. They're self-aware in that moment, I'm going to die, right? And then Jesus comes on the scene and what he does in that moment is calms everything, heals their fear that's going on inside of them, that calm down. And in that intersection of awareness of themselves, their weakness and awareness of God and his power comes belief, Okay. And she thinks think at times through, through the Gospels that um, when Jesus tells parables, parables are a story, a made-up story to explain and illustrate a truth that Jesus is trying to get them to believe in. He tells a parable that is exactly that. They feel something in that story. Boy, I know what it's like to have some money. Right? I, I know what it's like to, to have a precious pearl that I want to sell everything for. I know what it's like to have lack and to have, suddenly have this wealth. Of course we would. They can experience that. And then when he connects it to what God's like, like we don't do this. Like unless you have a business or something and you have, uh, you know, uh, uh, product or something that's valuable. We don't, we don't get this idea of like the parable of the pearl and like, Hey, I found this incredible pearl and so valuable. I will sell all the pearls I have for this one thing because it gets me so much more. They felt that. When, they, when people questioned Jesus, how he replied, he never got caught into their arguments. He repl replied in such a way that caused the Pharisees, those who argued with him about the law, to ask them a question and reply even to get them to see the inside. What do you think happened to the hearers when Jesus preached? when Jesus shared in Matthew chapter five, his incredible things about the kingdom. What do you think happened? 
When he talked about blessed are the poor, well, I'm poor. I feel poor. I'm poor in spirit. I know what that's like. And then he says, the kingdom is yours. What? That moment was clarity. That moment was that consciousness that happened for them. That's why they believed. They were never backed into a corner. And you weren't either. I actually believe that God is at work in your life right now to get you to believe him. These three things he's trying to get you to believe. We talked about it last week. That Jesus is from God. So what he said matters. So the red words, if you've got a Bible, the red words, they matter because they're from God. So a Sermon on the Mount, it matters for life right now. Secondary, he's trying to get you to believe that I believe God's at work right now in your life to believe that Jesus is God and that salvation is through him. Not more money, not a person, not if this problem went away or I didn't have that issue or people just listened to me or if I, this was easier, if I had what that guy has, but it's through Jesus. That's what he's at work at right now in your life. So are you paying attention to you and are you paying attention to God? And for many of us, those are constantly uh, under attack by your work, by um, uh, your desire for something else, the lustful parts of us. They're constantly attacked by, I believe, the world system and the system of power and money and greed. It's constantly attack, under attack. Paying attention to yourself, how much you need him, and paying attention to God working in your life right now. Can you hear what I'm saying tonight? I'll give you a couple of my experiences of when the intersection of that clarity and consciousness, that intersection of paying attention to myself and then paying attention to what God was doing. An example of this is when, you know, like you're in a, almost had a car accident. Like if you're in a car, you almost got hit by a car accident. And then in that moment, you kind of feel woken up. Oh my goodness, I'm just like, I've, I've almost had a near miss. So I've had to pull over to the side of the road and calm down for a second. In that moment, I felt really small. I actually felt five foot ten and a half, okay. I felt it. I felt like I wasn't strong, right. I paid attention to that moment. It brought me to that, right. I want to tell you a couple experiences I've had in my life of, just real quick, of the intersection for me. Sitting in church. This is when I first started going to church in high school. Shaking. My body shaking. Um, every single time there was an invitation to accept Jesus. This is before I was a Christian. Every single time I'd be shaking. Not out of fear, but out of like this power that something was happening, that I paid attention in that moment to something I needed. I, in that moment, paid attention to hope. I remember being on a mission trip in Mexico. I was a senior in high school or junior? I think it was a junior in high school. After preaching, a little girl came to me and she was dirty and poor, you know, and she just, three, four, five-year-old girl, and she just wanted to stay with us. Because she loved it here. And she didn't want to go back to where she was going, her house. In that moment, I felt God. I felt me. And at that moment, I actually paid attention to purpose in my life. And this is before I felt called into ministry. But God put me on that path because I paid attention to purpose. God was doing that in my life. I remember in college reading about life in the womb. And reading about abortion. And really getting into that, like, looking at where life, when life starts. I remember this believing that Jesus was God and that he cherished this thing. And I just paid attention to priority in that moment. I 
can't explain that to you. It's just something I just, in that moment, I remember sitting in the library, like having this moment with God. I remember in college praying in an altar after chapel. I remember praying, seeking God. God, what do you want? What do you want for my life? What's my, what's your will? I was a senior at this time. Didn't know what to do afterwards. And I just felt God say, wait. In that moment, I just felt that clarity, that consciousness that I paid attention to me that, boy, I, I think I need some more education. I think I'm not ready yet. I just feel like that's what God's saying. And I paid attention to the working of God in my life in that moment to prepare a next place for me. I paid attention to limits. I remember feeling God when I lost my temper with one, one of my kids. Just name any one of them. It all applies. Uh, I lost my temper with one of my kids. I paid attention to me in that moment. I paid attention to God in that moment. I felt him in that moment. I, I paid attention to my sin. I believed that I need a savior in that moment. Are you paying attention to you and to God? I believe as disciples, we should be really good at answering this question. How did God meet you this week in your life? Most of us are clueless. How did God meet me? Where did God meet me? Was it in grief? Was it in pain? Was it in delight and in joy? God has absolutely met me when I journal out things I'm grateful for. Oh my goodness, God meets me in that moment. <laughs> and I pay attention to me knowing what I, God's already done enough for me. He doesn't do anything else in my life. Hmm. It's not just good and bad things. This is what built belief for the disciples, for the many disciples after Jesus and his disciples, and what I believe will build belief for you. You each have your own experience with God. I wish I could argue into, you into a corner to believe. Can't do it. Nobody's ever followed Jesus because they got argued into a corner. It had a part of it, maybe. Uh, maybe you've read stories about atheists that hear arguments and then become a Christian. It never happens in instantaneously. Never, by the way. And it is always followed up by somebody else discipling them and mentoring them, by the way. You say, well, if I just saw Jesus in a dream, I'd be, I'd be in. I agree too, you'd be in. This happens in Iran. This happens in Muslim countries where they can't get in with churches or maybe with scripture. And so we, I've read these testimonies. I've heard these testimonies of people that have the dream of Jesus and they become a believer because they have that experience. You know what happens after that? They get discipled. They go to a church, they get to a body. They're not on their own. They find that. And so belief happens when you're aware of what God's doing and aware of yourself. He's incredible things. And God is doing that for you. And I would also encourage you not to hope for somebody else's experience, by the way. You can find your own. For a lifetime, this can happen for you. And I want to tell you, I've been following Jesus for about, whatever, 20, 22 years now. I would say I'm more passionate now than ever to be his disciples, to be his disciple. And I want this for my life. I want to question what I believe in every of my life. And I want to make sure that my life is a representation of belief in him, that Jesus sent him, you know, and that his salvation is through Jesus alone, not through anything else I've done. Here's four quick ways that you can foster and cultivate belief in your life, okay? Four things you can do to foster belief, foster paying attention to yourself and paying attention to God. Okay, well, first of all, is to read scripture. Read Jesus' words and consider what he said. And I'm gonna say this for a lifetime. Uh, it is not you are educated and good to go. I've read so much about scripture. I have degrees in this. I mean, I could say I'm done and I'm good. That's far from it. 
Every time I read scripture, I'm more curious than ever. I want to study it. I want to hear what God's saying, try to figure this out. I will pray, Jesus, I don't understand this. I don't understand how blessed are the poor. I don't understand it. What does it mean to be this poor in spirit? I don't understand. Would you teach me, Jesus? I will say, I don't believe. I can't believe right now. Can you admit that? God, I, I can't believe this. This is enough, right? Read, these, read it and ask these questions. What would it mean? What does it mean in this context? Well, what could it mean for me? What's significant? But how does this challenge what I currently believe? Would I lay it down if you had a moment with me, God, of paying attention to myself and you? I would say that when I read scripture, I know that the gospel is all about these four big areas, attacking shame in my life, pain, fear, and loneliness. I wonder in my life, as a disciple of Jesus, how my belief in him answers my deepest problems in life, which are those, I believe, those four areas. In this, in this passage, we have the fear one, you know. Just read it. Secondly is just to be self-aware. Um, I don't think you can do that really fast. I think you've got to slow down. Uh, another good word for that is just have time for reflection. Um, that's paying attention to what's going on, paying attention to your stress, paying attention to your fear, paying attention to your loneliness, all those things. Um, I think also it is constantly being in a place where I am of, uh, have the space, the time, the pace for God to teach me and speak to me. I think that's an important part of this, you know. I think also it's uh, being honest with ourselves and where we're at. Uh, we were never called to be Superman, right? We were called to be his and find that he is enough for us. Third way, and this is one of the biggest ways that my belief has grown over the years that is going to be a part of my whole lifetime is connecting with other believers. I can't tell you how much this has helped me. Uh, this has helped me through my hardest times in life. Um, this has helped me as a new believer especially. Uh, connecting with believers, reading scripture, being self-aware, having that time to journal, think through what's going on in my life right now. Can I just be honest with myself? What am I feeling? Third, connect with believers. You maybe have never done it, but I have. I have asked somebody who's mature and say, would you pray for me? I don't have belief for this. I don't. I'd like to ask prayer for someone who stopped the wind and the waves. I've asked people to mentor me. I've asked people, can you, hey, how do you do this? Why are you not having a panic attack when that happens? Because I'm having a panic attack when that happens. Why? How? How did, I would hear their story. Why do you believe? What happened in your life? How did you do this? Right? I've uh, uh, learned how to pray by not just reading scripture and praying, but by hearing people who know how to pray. Uh, they would have prayer opportunities at our, my church out I got saved in, in high school, and every single time there was a prayer meeting, I was there. I didn't know what to do. I don't like talking. I'm an introvert. I don't want people to hear me, you know, so I'm whispering, you know. I just wanted to listen and learn how to pray. I wanted, I would love being with couples before I was married. I love being with couples and seeing how they're a married couple. Why are you so kind to her or him? How do you guys do this? I lived with a couple a mature couple for two summers, and I saw the gospel played out in their life. It grew my belief in a godly marriage, what it can do. What about those four areas? Shame, pain, fear, and loneliness. 
How are you connecting with another believer around those areas? We don't even like to talk about uh, shame, right? We don't like to talk about feeling. Nobody ever says, hey, I'm alone. I feel lonely. Nobody does that. Maybe we should. And fourthly is to seek God. I didn't say seek an answer to all your questions. I didn't say that. I didn't say seek God to give you something. Didn't say that. Seek him. Whether it's in our worship gathering, whether it's you keeping a list of answered prayers like I did, of things that God has done and just seeking him constantly, saying, man, this is amazing. Maybe it's uh, the middle of the day for you to get your heart back on God. I've got people in my life to remind me to seek God and that point me to Jesus. Those are like my best friends that remind me and point me to Jesus, right? Quiet reflection, I'm constantly praying, right? I pray all day long I'm talking to God. If anything, this is my interruption from prayer today, right? When I watch TV, that's my interruption, right? Or when I have talked to them, that's my interruption. I'm praying all day long. I'm seeking God all day long. Those four things you could do, read scripture, be pay attention, be self-aware, connect with other believers, and to seek God. Would you stand with me, church? A disciple believes these three things and they play out in, in, in his or her life. What Jesus said, you believe it. I mean, you believe it. That he's from God. So what he said matters. It's the most important words that are spoken on this earth, right? That, how, that believe that he is God so that what he did mattered, like how he lived, that that should be something we'll talk about and mimicking that in your lifetime. But that that matters. And third, that salvation is from Jesus. I'm telling you, there's all kinds of influence to tell you something else. It comes from money or it comes from get, finally getting married and finding somebody that's going to make you happy. That's not true. Oh, if we just have a kid, it'll be great. We'll all be happy. That's not true. You know, if, if this was just problem will go away or if I didn't have this problem in my life, that's it. No, salvation comes from the work that Jesus did, not anything that you can or will do. And to rest in that. Father, tonight, I'm just thinking about how you are at work in every one of our lives right now to believe in you. We want to believe in something else. We want to believe in our power and our strength and our willpower and our good ideas and our dreams, all these things. But Lord, right now, I just pray that our hearts would be paying attention to our limits, our weakness. And paying attention to this moment when you are right in front of our face trying to introduce yourself to us. As you're trying to remind us that you're here, that you're enough, not something else that we don't have. Just pray right now, Lord Jesus, for this next week as there's so many places, spaces, moments, minutes, seconds, people, experiences where it's actually you right in front of our face and we miss it. Lord, cause us to pause, to have that moment of clarity, to have that moment, just a conscious moment that you're right there, God. Tonight, as we just close with this one more song, I just wonder if tonight you could just seek God. I didn't say seek something from him, not a gift, not an answered prayer, but just to seek him. Say, God, I just want to know you. 
I want to believe that you're enough in my life. I want to believe in you. I want to believe salvation's from you. I just want to seek you now and be with you. Standing here in your presence, the grace soaring and this I am one by perfect love, right within the arms of heaven, and a peace that lasts forever, sinking deep in mercy. See. And I'm wide awake, drawing closer by grace. And all my heart is yours. No fear moves. I breathe you in, I lean into your
just pray, Lord, that we would pay attention this week. Pay attention, Lord. I just pray, God, in those moments you're trying to come to us, Lord, that we'd wake up and hear you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Or, you know, Norm, I don't do this, but I would, you know what we're going to do? I, maybe, Nathan, if you can play for another 10 or 15 minutes. I'm just going to give you opportunities just to hang out and, and, and see God if that's what you need. Maybe you just need to have a few minutes, 10 or 15 minutes, just to like pay attention a little bit and just reflect on your life, maybe. Maybe you just don't have that space, so let's do that. I know I got kids too, and I'll go get them, but maybe a parent needs to go get the kids, the other parent stays, whatever. Or if this, you don't feel led to do that, it's fine too. If you need to go, you'll be officially dismissed right now. You're officially dismissed, but just, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Here's an opportunity for you just to seek him a little bit. To just sit in quietness and pay attention to him, to you even. I'd just like to invite you to do that. I'll give you some space here. Um, if you've got kids, you can go and get them because I know that time's over. So if you're a parent, go get your kids. And I know they're going to eat. But I just thought I'd just give you guys a few minutes here to seek him. Just pay attention a little bit. Yeah, you're dismissed. You can be you can be dismissed. But for those of you that would like to stay, here's an opportunity for you. Bless you.